I've mentioned this before, um, uh, but I love riding. I love riding my push bike. And um, I have these moments uh, when I ride, because, I mean, all of us would know the Tour de France is only three weeks away, right? It's on your calendar, isn't it? <laughs> yes, of course it is. That's the correct answer. Well done. Uh, Tour de... <laughs> Shayla's looking like, what are you talking about? <clears throat> we'll talk after. It's a really big bike race. It's awesome. It'll change your life, right? <clears throat> Tour de France is three weeks away. And I have these moments... Uh, in life, usually around this time of the year when uh, it's summer in Europe and bike racing's kind of at its peak. And I think, you know, I think about the Tour de France and I think, oh, I'd love to do that. You know, you see all the, the buzz and the teams and the, the scenery and, and just, you know, everything happening, uh, literally millions of, uh, of people watching. And you think, oh, I'd love to do that. Until you have those moments where you watch one of those, at least for me, where I watch one of those behind the scenes documentaries, you know, those things. And you just see how these guys train. You just see the, the, these guys are just in pain seven days a week, just hurting themselves on a bike. You see, they diet constantly. They can never eat what they want to eat. Constant injuries and rehabilitation and crashes. You know, you just have a crash and you go on with your life and these guys are just covered in scabs and sores and missing skin almost all the time. <laughs> living in cheap hotels six months of the year away from your family and, and all of a sudden the dream of riding the Tour de France doesn't seem quite as, quite as exciting to a guy like me and you think, you know, maybe I'll just stay home and watch it on TV. You know, the idea of... It's a great idea, but in the end it's not really the idea that counts, it's what you do. Do you know what I'm saying? It, it, you know, you, you, can, you can have great ideas and you think this would be a really good thing until you think about the daily decisions required to be there, the daily decisions required to live that kind of life. And it strikes me that our faith can be a little bit like that, can't it? You know, you can believe in God and you can have this, you can have this, this cool idea about what faith would be like. You can, you can believe all the right things but it's what you do on the daily that really counts in faith. You know, in the end, it, it doesn't really matter what you, what you think about the kind of life that you want, what you think about the kind of Christian that you want to be, if you think of yourself a Christian. It doesn't really matter what you think about, uh, about life and faith. It matters what you do in that space. We're in the second part of a series that we're calling Seven Day Jesus. And we're looking at, at what it means, what it looks like to follow Jesus seven days a week. Because we said last week there's a, there's a big difference between being like a weekend Christian and being a seven-day-a-week follower of Jesus. Because there's lots of people who have a, a, what we call like a weekend kind of faith. You know, they come to church sort of when they feel like it, when it's convenient. They believe in God. They might even, you know, serve somewhere or do something for God, you know, if it's convenient, if, if their friends are doing it, if it sounds like fun. But it's a whole other thing to have a seven-day relationship with Jesus. And this series is about helping those of us who, who want to sort of transfer, who want to make the move, make the step from sort of weekend faith to seven-day a week faith. 
And we're going to get, as we did last week, we're going to get really practical and ask, what are the things, what is the difference between kind of weekend faith and seven-day-a-week faith? How can we move from here to there? Because sort of in the end, showing up for church is a little bit like watching the Tour de France. It's, you know, it looks fun. It can be kind of great. It can feel like sort of sign me up. But this series is kind of like the behind the scenes documentary, saying what does it really look like to live that kind of lifestyle seven days a week, to live out our faith seven days a week. This series is about not just what we do on Sunday, not just what we we think on the weekend, not just what we do in church, but what we do at work, what we do at school, how we live at uni, at home, out with our friends, when we're playing sport, on social media. Having a seven day a week faith is about what we do and how we live seven days a week. And fortunately for us, the writers of the Bible talk about this stuff all the time. I mean, what we call our our New Testament in the Bible is full of letters that were written to churches, encouraging those churches, encouraging the Christians, encouraging the people in those churches to live out their faith seven days a week. Paul was one of the leaders in the early church. He was one of the authors of lots of these letters. He wrote a letter to a church in Rome, to probably a collection of little churches uh, in the city of Rome, to remind them, a part of what he does is remind them that a a seven-day-a-week faith begins with a change or a transformation that happens on the inside of us. He's saying you're not just making a decision to sort of believe in something. These Christians were giving themselves over to Jesus and allowing him to transform them from the inside out. Listen to the way Paul describes it in Romans chapter 12. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, when you think about how good God's been to you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Paul's saying that seven day a week faith begins with fully giving yourself to Jesus. And allowing him to change you, or the word he uses is to sort of to transform you from the inside out. He's saying it's like the old you dies and a new you is born. The, the Greek word that Paul uses for transformation, and I probably won't pronounce this right, um, but is the word metamorphousti. It's the word that we get the word metamorphous from. And, and, and it is literally that idea, you know, the, the, the thing you always learn in schools, you know, when a, when a caterpillar 
kind of goes into a cocoon and comes out as a butterfly. It's that, that process of metamorphosis where, where sort of the, it's like the caterpillar has to die. It doesn't literally die, but, but it's like the caterpillar has to die in order to be born again, to be transformed and to be born into something new. That's the idea that Paul's trying to capture uh, when he explains what seven-day faith with Jesus is like. When Jesus himself talked about this, uh, he had a meeting with a guy called Nicodemus and he talked about the idea of being born again. This kind of transformation changes everything. When we give ourselves to God and we allow his spirit to transform us from the inside out, it changes the way that we see God, it changes the way that we see ourselves and it changes the way that we see the world around us. In, in other letters Paul writes, he's, he, he's going to use the language of being a new creation. And Paul says when, when you become a new creation, you start seeing the world differently. He says, stop conforming to the patterns of this world. Is it you start seeing the world a different way? You start seeing the patterns or the way world, the world works in a different way. He says you stop conforming to the patterns of this world and you start following. You start kind of being transformed by the way that God sees the world, allowing you to see. He says this is the this is the path to allowing you to see what God's will is, what God's plan is for your life. Uh, Verse 2 there, he said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing and his perfect will. And I was just, when Paul says what God's will is, he's not just talking like God's will in big decisions, right? He's not just talking about, you know, God's will, like, do I buy this house? Do I take this job? Do I marry this person? Do I get married at all? He's not just talking about those kinds of decisions. I think when, when, when Paul's writing and talking about this transformation and us not conforming to the patterns of this world, but understanding what God's will for us is, he's talking about the hundreds of decisions that we make every day. He's talking about what God's will for us is when we walk past someone who looks like they're in trouble and we ask ourselves, do I stop and say something or do I keep walking? Do I buy more clothes with the extra money that I've got this week? Or do I think about how I could use that money to bless someone else? What do I do when someone cuts me off in traffic? How do I reply when my friends start talking nasty about someone else who's not in the room? Do I join that conversation or do I have the courage to speak up? I think these are the sorts of decisions that Paul's talking about. This is what it means in Paul's mind to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus daily, to follow Jesus seven days a week. Listen to the way Paul describes this kind of life when he writes another letter to the church in Ephesus. In our Bibles, it's called the book of the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writes, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Jump down toward the end of the chapter, verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, 
which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. To put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Can you hear the language of the new creation? It's the same language, isn't it? The language of transformation. Verse 25, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour. For we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands. They must have something to share with those in need. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. And into chapter 5, verse 1, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Paul's encouraging the Ephesians to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And he goes on to talk about what that life looks like. He says things like be humble, be gentle, be patient, speak truthfully, don't let anger get the better of you. Don't steal, speak words that will build others up. Get rid of bitterness, be kind and compassionate, forgive one another. He says, this is what it looks like to follow God's example. This is what it looks like, he uses this beautiful phrase, to walk in the way of love. And I want you to see here that Paul's not giving them a list of stuff they have to try and remember to do. He's giving them examples of what it looks like to live a life of love. We talk about this often here, but Jesus was super clear that is in his kingdom, his, in his way of living, there was just one rule. There was just one rule and that rule is to love. One rule with two parts, to love God and to love others. The things we do, the way we act, the actions we take are practical demonstrations of this kind of love, this kind of living. That's what Paul's talking about here. That's what Paul says, having this kind of seven-day faith, this kind of powerful, effective faith is all about. He's saying living out a seven-day faith isn't so much about what you believe, it's about what you do. About how you see others, how you see the world, how you treat others. It's about sacrificing, kind of putting to death the old you and allowing the Spirit of God to create something new in you. A new kind of you that will see the world differently. Because you know, just like me, don't you? We live in a world that encourages us to see the world a certain way, doesn't it? It encourages us to see the world in a way that puts us at the middle of the story. That's the world we live in, isn't it? I'm the most important and I'm encouraged to see the world in a way that puts me in the front and everyone else out there. Jesus has a whole different way of seeing the world. And when we are transformed by him, we start to see the world a whole different way.
And you know, Paul isn't just talking about sort of avoiding sin. Sometimes in churches we think this kind of, you know, sort of living out our faith is just about the things that we don't do. You know, we don't murder. We don't, we don't, we don't steal. We don't do drugs. We don't watch porn. We don't swear. You know, we don't, we don't, we don't. And it's true, we don't do those things. But, but can you see from what Paul's saying, that's really just a small part of what it means to, as he says, walk in the way of love. Paul's list includes things like forgiveness and kindness and compassion. Dealing with anger positively. In other letters, he'll write, uh, he'll write similar sorts of lists and he'll talk about generosity and hospitality. Uh, he'll talk about bearing one another's burdens. Friends, this is what it looks like to live a seven-day faith. Living a seven-day faith are about the decisions we make each day. How are you going to spend your money? How are you going to respond to the poor around you? What words will you speak? Words that build others up, words that tear others down. We make those choices every single day, don't we? How will you respond when someone is nasty to you or mean to you? Will you say something back to them? Most of us don't have the courage to that. Most of us, what do we do? We say something nasty about them to someone else and hope that it might drift back to them. Or will we forgive? Will we show them the kind of grace and mercy that God has shown us? How will you deal with anger? We all get angry. We all get frustrated with things. How will you deal with that? Paul talks really practically about those things. He says, this is the way of love. Now, for those who were here last week, we talked about the foundation of seven-day living being a a, a daily time to connect with God. We talked about the foundational uh, importance of daily Bible reading and daily prayer. And I want to say, this is why, when we start talking about the actual way we behave, this is why that foundation is so important. What we read and the prayers we pray are, are, are how we is what God uses us to focus on what we do during the day. Does that make sense? What we read, these are the, what we read and what we pray, they're the things that will inform our decisions during the day. Some people might say they're the fuel that keep us going through the day. You know, you drive a race car, the race car has to stop every now and then to go into the pits, don't they? To get fresh tyres and fresh fuel to kind of keep them going. And the daily time that we spend with Jesus is like that pit stop that keeps us going for the rest of the day. We said last week that that daily time is the, is the foundation upon which all of our seven-day faith is built. And when we start talking about the decisions we make, that foundation becomes really super important. But I want to know, this isn't easy, right? This isn't magic. This isn't, this isn't some kind of magic process where you say yes to God and all of a sudden you get, you get zapped and all these decisions and, and, you know, this daily stuff becomes dead easy. I mean, that's why Paul's writing these letters in the first place, isn't it? Because these little churches are finding this stuff really hard. Because they were loving on people and they were being nice to people and people were beating up on them and they were like, do we keep doing this? 
because they were forgetting some of this stuff. Because they were getting confused about some of this stuff. Because, because they weren't always doing That's why Paul's writing these letters to encourage them, to refocus them. But the key is that they didn't, and the key for us is that we don't give up. We keep on meeting together. We keep on encouraging one another. We keep connected to God daily through our Bibles and through prayer. That's what it means to live a seven-day faith. That's why, that's why the church part, it's, it's not about, you know, you come to church on Sunday and you get a tick. People have been meeting together once a week because this has been such an important way for people to encourage one another and to support one another, you know, that we're not doing this on our own. And people have been doing this because, we said last week, simply because it works. Friends, these, these day, the daily decisions that we make to live out our faith, the daily decisions we make about how we will treat others, the daily decisions that we make about how we will speak, the daily decisions we make about how we will spend our money, about how we will spend our time, about who we will speak to and how we will speak to them, the daily decisions we make about what we post on social media, what we comment on and how we comment. Those things reflect who we are and they reflect the God that we worship. And for 2,000 years, the daily decisions of Christians have been what has grown the church and what has grown people within the church. I mean, those daily decisions are how a tiny group of nobodies outgrew and outlasted the Roman Empire, right? The church is still going. The Roman Empire exists in history books. For 2,000 years, these daily decisions are how God has been changing the world through his people. It's as simple as that. When people sacrifice the old them and allow the Spirit of God to transform them. When through that process they start seeing the world not the way everyone else sees the world, but, 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 but seeing the world the way that God would have us see the world. And when they start acting out of that, when they start acting out of love, when they start following God's example, as, as Paul says, when they start walking in the way of love, when they start making bold and courageous decisions not to follow the patterns of this world, but to follow the example of Jesus. And sometimes we get it right and sometimes we don't. And sometimes we see cool results right away. And sometimes it takes a while and sometimes we don't see results this side of heaven. Jesus would say this to his followers. For the Son of Man, which is the way he talks about himself, for the Son of Man's going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they've done. A seven-day faith is about the decisions that we make. It's about the daily decisions that we make to live out our faith. Consistent daily decisions to love and to serve and to give and to follow the example of Jesus to walk in the way of love. These daily decisions change us and they change the world.